Hi, I'm Steven Schinder. And I'm Dan Schinder. Welcome to the Yes Shift podcast, where we talk about, wait, what do we talk about again? The band Yes. And there's so much to talk about with their many shifts in lineups and the mental, emotional, and spiritual shift their music can evoke. Since 1968, as of the inception of this podcast, May 2021, Yes has published a ton of studio albums, live albums, compilation albums, singles, and videos, all of which cover a very wide arcing spectrum of progressive rock. And we represent two generations of hardcore Yes fans. You may not agree with all of our tastes. Or any. The same way we don't always agree with a lot of the silly stuff so-called Yes fans post about on social. (laughs) And that's okay. With a history like Yes, having spanned so much music and time, there are always going to be different perspectives. And we are here to share ours, comment on things we see online, and invite you to be part of it as well. Yeah, we welcome your comments on posts of these episodes on social, as well as reviews on our podcasting platforms. You can also send comments and suggestions for topics to yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com. That's spelled with two S's, just like yes songs and yes shows. Hi, we are excited about this episode that honors a very special musician. I'm Dan Schinder. And I'm Steven Schinder. And we are here to honor... Roger Newell, a bassist who's well known for his work with Rick Wakeman in the 70s. And of course, we're the Yes Shift podcast, but every now and then we'll talk about stuff that's sort of yes adjacent. And this was very important because... Roger Newell passed away um, around a week ago now. Uh, As this is being recorded on, what's the date? The 18th of September, 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So we have the, we have the news bit that came out from ultimate classic rock. Um, Why don't you start with that? Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So we'll read that and also read a few tributes from, people he's performed with and then we'll be talking about uh the rick wakeman albums that he was on and his contributions to those so yeah, yeah we'll, we'll talk about his musical proudness the contributions like steve said to rick's music and in, in my opinion just to jump ahead a little bit in, right. in my opinion um i think rick's music is as canon to prog music as yes is and that's why roger fits in so importantly yeah, I definitely have some thoughts on that, but we'll get okay. there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. All right. So this came from Ultimate Classic Rock uh, uh, like last weekend. Um, so bassist Roger Newell, best known for his work with Yes keyboardist Rick Wakeman, has died at age 73. Newell suffered an aortic aneurysm on September 10th following a long battle with cardiac illness. Newell performed on several of Wakeman's solo albums as a member of the English rock ensemble, including 1974's Journey to the Center of the Earth, 1975's The Myths and Legends of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, and 1976's No Earthly Connection. Newell and Wakeman's paths originally crossed serendipitously in a pub in Buckinghamshire, England, where Newell frequently jammed with other musicians. 
Wakeman sat in on keyboards one evening and enjoyed their session so much that he brought most of the band in for the recording of Journey to the Center of the Earth. Newell often performed live with the first triple neck bass. And there is a bit of that as well from uh, Rick's tribute below. But yeah, that was quite like surprising news uh, when that came out. And admittedly, some of the musicians that the Yes members were so familiar with, like sometimes I'm not super familiar with the names of the other musicians they work with. So this definitely... um, you know, it makes me want to get better at memorizing the names of, like, the people on all these solo albums. Like, it is difficult to remember all the names, but... The, I, the extended like to, family. Yeah. The extended family. Uh, Tony Fernandez, for instance, left-handed drummer who plays for Rick Wakeman, who has for years and years and years and years a staple in Rick's music. Roger, a staple in Rick's music. Those three albums you mentioned, other than... Six Wives of Henry VIII, those three albums are not only pillar to Rick's career, but pillar and canon in prog rock music. Mm -hmm. Those are giant. One on its own, each are giants in prog rock. And he's the bass player. And Steve mentioned uh, the first triple neck bass guitar, which I was astounded today when I discovered by happenstance, looking up some info on Roger, and I saw a picture of him with what I thought was Chris's triple neck. I knew there had only been one made at the time of this photo, but Roger was playing it and not Chris. Come to find out with a little more research by Steve that it was actually Roger's triple neck that he lent to Chris Squire, who played it on Awaken. (laughs) Yeah, who slashed it and then Chris adopted slash never gave it back <laughs> and 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 he's iconically recognized for having that special instrument who he eventually had a Japanese company make copies had make copies of for touring because why would you take that one special instrument on tour even though musicians did that but that just like <laughs> twisted my whole reality because I had no idea so let's rewind that for a moment that really shows how innovative Roger was as a musician. Hey, I'm going to create a unique bass guitar. Hey, I'm going to add another neck and different pickups and setting adjustments to this bass guitar. Now I got to wait, wait, wait a minute. I have a third idea. I'm going to slap another neck tuned differently with different attenuation, different action on the strings, different pickups, different... Like, wow, I, I want to know more about him as a man. Was his background in engineering? Was he some sort of wood craftsman? Or was he just a creative musician? I think all of that begs so many other questions. More to come in later episodes on Roger Ellsworth. But for now, we're honoring him uh, for his legacy that he left behind with Rick's music. And on that note, no pun intended, Steve, why don't you read Rick's words as a tribute to Roger? Yeah, I, I was kind of confused about whether Roger ordered the bass or whether Rick did, but in any case, here are Rick's words on it. So he says, Roger was such... This is from Rick Wickman's website, uh, post on the 12th. Uh, Roger was such an important founder member of the English rock ensemble and his love and understanding of prog rock 
and orchestral symphonic rock was second to none. He was enthusiastic, dedicated, and a great guy to be around. He was just as happy when we all were playing in the now defunct Valiant Trooper in Homer Green on a Sunday to raise money for charity as he was walking on stage at Madison Square Garden to perform Journey to the Center of the Earth. The triple neck guitar, perhaps best known for being played by Chris Squire, was in fact made by wall basses for the King Arthur concerts at Wembley and then used frequently by Roger on our ERE tours. I eventually loaned slash donated it to Chris and it ended up in the Hard Rock in New York with Chris making copies to use on tours for Awaken. Roger was always the first to arrive to rehearsals and the first to know the music but not always first to buy around at the pub. <laughs> um, I think he made up for that with the other two things and they should have been buying him the first round anyway. So I'm good with that. Right. We had a, <laughs> we had a fun reunion back in the 1980s at a pub in Bagshot, most notably for Tony Fernandez getting paralytic and falling, excuse me, falling backwards off of his drum stool. Also, <laughs> also Roger Ashley, Barney, Gary, and I all met up at Shepperton Studios for a bit of a film reunion, which was very special indeed, as now only myself and Ashley remain. Roger always deserved more, recogni more recognition as a bass player, and his incredibly musical input in both notation and sounds on No Earthly Connection is a lasting tribute to his talent. My thoughts are with his family, with his wife, Jilly, and other members of his family. I shall miss the old bugger. Rick Wakeman, CBE, September 12th, 2021. Very heartfelt sentiments. And Steve, you mentioned something I may have missed a point on when you said that Rick says he and Ashley only remain. Does he mean in that ensemble or band or that they're the only survivors? Um. Because well, I didn't know Tony Fernandez passed or Ash or no, Ashley still. But I didn't know. Has Tony Fernandez passed? I mean, um, I run Drum Talk TV. You'd think I'd know this. Let me but. look that up real quick. Okay. And while you're doing that, I want to tell everybody from time to time, Steve will ask me something or I'll ask Steve something that sounds like a queued up setup prompt like in volleyball. But as much as Steve and I talk about music, we don't rehearse for the show. We don't really like plan things out together. We talk about a couple things and then Steve plans the show. I give some feedback and the rest of it is really organic. So one of the most fun things to me about this is that Steve and I get to talk with you folks together about some things we've never gotten each other's take on. So it's very natural, authentic, and organic. And we want you to always chime in, whether it's via email or on the post that you see this on our Facebook page or wherever the podcast is or in a prog group that we share it to or wherever. And you can email us at yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com. You can chime in on certain points of episodes. You can give suggestions for things you'd like us to cover, or you can tell us that we're ugly. Either way, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not finding anything about Tony Fernandez having passed so, away. So I so guess then, he means well, like in terms of performances. Oh, okay, good. Well, that's odd. I wonder why Tony, that's the next question. I wonder why Tony's not performing with him because he did perform with him as recently 
at, at least the most recently thing I know of is uh, the Six Wives of Henry VIII at Hampton Court, which yes. is probably my most was... favorite Rick Wakeman performance other than Live Journey to the Center of the Earth in Japan. Yeah, I think that was 2009 or thereabouts, which, wow, it's weird to think that it is that long. Ago. 12 years ago or whatever. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It seems like it just came out. Yeah. <laughs> I would have guessed three years ago. I'm honest. I would have wow. said three years ago. Yeah. 12 years ago. I mean, the music is timeless. So, yeah. yeah. And I, it. <laughs> I love that concert. But back to Roger Ellsworth. Um, uh, Ro if, Roger Newell. Newell. Sorry. What did I say? Ellsworth? Newell. Yes. <laughs> Roger Newell. Sorry. Um, I'd like to comment as a fellow musician, as a fellow rhythm section family member, I'd like to comment on his playing and listening recently since his passing to a lot of stuff to refresh my memory and, and listen, I suppose, with a bit of a different perspective. To me, Roger was like the John Paul Jones of progressive rock. Um, John Paul Jones was not about being flashy out front on stage. He was not about dressing flashy. He didn't have a flashy personality. But yet, without John Paul Jones, there would never have been the greatest rhythm section in rock music with mm -hmm. him and John Bonham. And I feel that way with Roger Newell because he was sort of the same way. If you watch any of the live concert footage that he did with Rick, um, you see Ashley and I'm sorry, the other singer out front, you know, dressed for the times, the seventies, uh, having a senior moment, Rick and his cape and all the, the orchestra, but Rogers just doing his job as a musician and bass player, just laying down a solid foundation for all that other madness to happen around. And that's the best thing any musician can do first with their instrument, whether it's a bass player, a drummer, rhythm guitar player, oboe player, string section, whatever, is to first and foremost do that. And I think Roger was king in that area in progressive rock, whereas most other progressive rock bass players, with the exception of um, John Wetton, who played very much the same way. If you look at people like Chris Squire, Getty Lee, um, yeah, like you go on and on. A lot of prog bass players are more melodic and flashy and they even get lead uh, passages and songs, which is totally okay. I'm not, I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying that Roger was definitely compartmentalized here as a solid rhythm section player. Mm. And, and that's what helped keep everything else that was going around him together yeah and just real quick that other vocalist you were trying to remember was gary pickford hopkins duh yeah, yeah. <laughs> who did uh king arthur journey to the center of the earth you know yeah. he, he did a lot of stuff with rick and it was great to see ashley in uh the concert i sent you today that you haven't watched from yeah, the king arthur live one yeah yeah, it was cool to see Ashley part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 86, 88, um, 84, 82, 81. When was that? that <laughs> video, um, I, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Jeez, I forgot the year that. that that's was okay. Recorded, that's okay. It's but... in the 80s, folks. And it's it as well as timeless. And I love that concert. The band is hot. Tony's hot. Ashley's hot. Rick is hot. It's a really good show.
But yeah, maybe we'll put that sounds, in the... Sounds like the opposite of King Arthur on ice, which sounds like it'd be cold, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that. King, King Arthur on ice. So was King Arthur on ice an ice rink performance to the recorded music or did yeah, they play I, live as well? I vaguely recall like seeing a video clip of Rick Wakeman ice skating. Wait, um, what? Uh, okay, wh let me look this up. So, Depending uh, on the year this was, I'm not sure he might have been sober enough to stay up on skates. However, he did go teetotal. So if it was after that benchmark equator in his timeline then yeah i could see that rick wakeman on skates with a cape um maybe i'm like wondering if okay so chime in on any of this folks this yeah, is your I'm trying show to look too. up images and now i'm wondering if this is just something i imagined maybe or, or... a bullshit thing it just came up with <laughs> just kidding just kidding right. um did um, you know that ice skating is was one of my favorite exercises when we lived in ventura oh really yeah i used to go to the ice rink in ventura three times a week in my compression shorts and a sleeveless shirt and speed around the rink freezing cold People were looking at me like I was weird because I was in compression shorts, sleeve the I loved that. Such a great rush. I loved it. Okay. So I found a video from 75 uh, where they're performing Guinevere. And it's actually a woman who's ice skating during that song and Rick's on keyboard. So maybe like, uh, like thinking back to it, I probably like combined. The okay. Two. That's okay. So it is a live performance rather than skating yeah. to a recording uh right yeah like rick is there performing and so so would like roger would roger have been there in 75 does that fit the timeline? i believe so it looks like there are a bunch of musicians if i make out this footage yeah the the rock ensemble is there does he have the eight string or eight neck bass guitar <laughs> eight neck um <laughs> that's yeah, cool i'm like scrubbing through this trying to I don't know if he has it in this video, but okay. yeah, that's like, that was kind of a weird thing that Rick Wakeman did since, at the time. <laughs> since we brought it up, perhaps you can put the link to that in the post. Right. We this. So Steve, why don't, why don't we give everyone a rundown of some other things that Roger Newell did outside of Rick Wakeman? Cause he did something uh, pretty pivotal in his career, probably playing with one of the largest pop british artists at the time yeah so uh according to the little bio from the article that we got this from uh before like performing with wakeman newell was the basis for a band called rainbow folly uh, that's folly with two f's and it's a psychedelic band apparently um they released an album in 68 called sally's fourth Wait, a uh, psychedelic again. band in 68? <laughs> yeah, what a concept, right? <laughs> um, and that's fourth with two Fs. Um, I guess that was kind of their thing, kind of like how King Crimson like ends project with KC before the T because it's King Crimson. But anyway, uh, uh, so they disbanded shortly after that and then reunited nearly 50 years later 50. for... <laughs> For a second album, uh, 2015's Rainbow, f uh, oh, 2015's Follow Up, uh, again with, with two Fs, yeah, 
Yeah, that that's quite a gap between like breakup and reunion. Oh my gosh, from 68 to 50 years later, you are completely different people. A 50-year-old. Yeah. I'm a different person from 10 years ago, let alone 20, let alone 30, let alone 50 years ago. I remember getting together with my band Assault uh, and the gap in that reunion was, let me just think, from probably 80 to, eh, it was maybe 10 years. And that seemed like a un- unmeasurable chasm, you know, so I could, uh, 50 years later, like. Yeah, what, like the only. Like, wait, 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 that- wait, 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 wait. That goes from, I gotta say that that goes from, yeah. I'm thinking about having kids too. Yeah, we got 16 grandkids. You know, it's like 50 years. Yeah. The uh, the only other band I can kind of compare that to is Mabel Greer's Toy Shop. You know, the band that, yeah, the band that became uh, Yes. Like, so it ended in 68 when Yes was formed and then uh, reunited in 2014 with. Uh, I think Billy Sherwood was involved with when they reunited and yeah, yeah. they've had like a couple albums uh, after that. And so, yeah, it's pretty wide gap. Yeah. Cool. Um, folks, are you familiar with any of these other experiences that Roger had in his early career? Let us know. And most of all, let us know if you ever saw him perform live what you thought of his musicality in a live performance compared to on vinyl, because it would have been vinyl back then. And if any of you have not seen him live, but are fans of Rick's music or any of these other artists' music that Roger played on, give us your take. Give us your take. Yeah. And on the 16th, the Rainbow Folly uh, Facebook page posted a little tribute to Roger. So they said... Hi, all. Rainbow Folly has lost a brilliant man in Roger. We were working with him to the last on new music. Much loved by all who knew him. Can't say any more at the moment, but we did this pick in memoriam. Hugs all around John and Stu. No emoticons do him justice. And they yeah. have like this really nice picture on their Facebook where they're like sitting on the couch. Um, I guess the wall behind them has a rainbow if that is a real wall and they're holding up what looks like a record it looks pretty cool so cool yeah. so um, steve i want to ask you something that i'm going to ask the audience to chime in as well right. with and that is name the three big things that roger played on with rick and what is your favorite and and audience listeners viewers let us know the same so, Steve, name them and give us your favorite, and I'll do the same. Right. Well, okay, yeah, we'll get back to the Wildcats in a moment. But, okay. yeah, so by favorite, do you mean, like, my favorite of those three albums? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the three Rick Wakeman albums were uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, The Myths and Legends of King Arthur, and The Knights of the Round Table. Uh, I can somehow say that, but not Tales from Topographic Oceans, apparently. Yeah, how do you... (laughs) Listen to previous episode regarding that. How do you choose between those three? Yeah, and no no earthly connection. Connection, yeah. Yeah, so out of those three, I think... 
they're, they're all like really close, but I think King Arthur might be my favorite. But maybe if I got more familiar with No Earthly Connection, perhaps that could be in the lead at some point. Because I feel like I've listened to the other two more than that one in you know, various iterations. Yeah. So for me, the difficulty is that, and fans, I'm asking you to do this as well. S- separate Rick's work on this. This is about Roger. And instinctively, I go to Journey because I'm such a fan of the story and I love Return to the Center of the Earth. But I think I agree with Stephen that his playing, Roger Newell's playing, I think is most stellar and iconic for his career with Rick of the Three Albums with King Arthur. That is a not just a great album, it's, it's fascinating. The story the writing of the story lyrically, the storytelling of it and musically, and just the way he worked with the, the chorale and the orchestra. And then there's Roger Newell just holding it all together with the drummer, just stapled, you know, stitching it together. So I have to agree. I think that's my favorite. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. So uh, should I go ahead and read the Wildcats' tribute yeah. and then we'll get back to the Rick Wakeman stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so another band that Roger Newell uh, performed with was the Wildcats in 1988. Uh, they were the backing band for Marty Wilde, uh, who was a pop rock singer. Huge pop rock singer in Britain. Uh, yeah, so... Okay, I'm actually not very familiar with him. So maybe you're more familiar with like how big he is. um, Because like, I've never heard his name before this. So I don't know. I'm not extremely familiar. But from my understanding, he was like the Bruce Springsteen of Britain. Oh, wow. That okay, that adds more context. Yeah. Yeah, he was big. Yeah. And for Roger to get that gig or anybody, it meant something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so on the 12th, uh, the Wildcats posted their tribute on their Facebook page. They said, hello all, it's with our deepest sympathies to his wife, Jilly, and their family that we say farewell to our dear friend and longtime compatriot, Roger Newell, who passed away peacefully on Friday, 10th September. Roger had suffered several chronic conditions in recent years, but the shock of losing him has hit us all like a brick, especially as we have gigs to fulfill and brave faces to put on. Of course, Raj would not have wanted anything but for us to keep giving it everything we've got. We will raise a glass to him at every show and remember the thousands of gigs we've done together and how his brilliant bass playing powered the band for well over 30 years. Here's how we all remember him best with his faithful vintage Fender Precision Bass, uh, nicknamed Baby, that ever-cheeky grin and the twinkle in his eye that we all know so well. It's an old cliche, we know, but Heaven's Band just got a whole lot better. Cheers, Raj, from Wildcats past and present. And they posted like a really nice photo of him with a bass, and like he, he looks very happy. It's really nice. You know, uh... We're 31 years difference. Yeah. 
And for those of you who don't know, Steve's my son. I'm the dad. It's not the right. other way around. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I know I have more like facial hair right now, but yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> and he's smarter, has more wisdom, but I'm the dad. <laughs> <laughs> and here's an interesting dichotomy. As you read those things, and along with September being a pretty heavy month with losing some iconic drummers like Charlie mm -hmm. Watts of the Rolling Stones and Ron Bushy of Iron Butterfly, the, one of the most iconic drum solos ever within Agata DeVita, along with Movie Dick by John Bonham. It's when you read those things, it's me outside sitting back. I'm not reading it, I'm listening to someone, I'm listening to you read it. And what's difficult for me is that I'm of the age. I'm coming up on 60 in a year and a half. Now I'm of the age where my heroes are passing away. What's interesting is that Steve's 31 years younger. So you would think that might not have the same effect on him because I have a lot more years, a lot more mileage, all that stuff. But Steve list, Steve and I listen to the same music. So I'm curious um, on that note, like, do you feel that people of your musical generation that pass away are hitting you like that? Like for me, it's people I've been listening to my whole life as well as you have been, but my life's been 31 years longer. And I've been listening to them literally since I was five years old, five, six, started playing drums right before I turned seven. So I'm just curious, you know, generationally what this all means to you. Yeah, there are people in my age group who love listening to classic rock. And so whenever someone significant passes away, they feel it as well. Um, and obviously, I can't read their minds, so I don't know how hard it's seeing them, but they express it. And for me, uh, personally, when, you know, when, for example, um, I mean, these last, within these last six years, um, well, first we lost Peter Banks in 2013, and then from like 2015 to the few years afterward, we lost Chris Squire, Keith Emerson, Greg Lake, John Wetton. I'm not all in that order, but with giants, just a few years, giants in music, let alone prog rock. Yeah, and giants. all those, all those hit me like the day that Chris passed away. I was so upset, and you know, my brother. Alex, who, do, who doesn't listen to Yes as much as we do, he texted me and, you know, condolences and stuff. And, um, and he, knew, he knew the musical um, yeah. soulic relationship you had with John's music. That's why. He yeah. And, and I remember um, the, the day I heard that Keith Emerson died you know oh. I, I was at college and i was um i think i was like waiting for an improv workshop on campus to start and um uh, i was talking to a friend and i i told her i was upset and she asked why and it was because of keith emerson's passing so yeah like stuff like that still hits me because the music means so much to me so the lesson in that is that you can't judge someone's music sensibilities by their age, let alone generation. And if there's anyone younger under 50, 
and under 30 <laughs> that's listening to this that gets that, we'd love to hear from you. I would love to hear from more younger people like you, Steve. Steve's going to be 27 soon, who are into the same music I've been listening to my whole life. You know, I think that proves a point that um, Anja, my wife, folks, for those of you who don't know, Anja and I have this discussion from time to time, once a month at least, that there will never be music created in modern times that will have the stay power and impact as music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Whether it's Yes, whether it's Led Zeppelin, whether it's The Who, whether it's King Crimson, whether it's Asia, whether it's Michael Jackson, whether it's Dionne Warwick, we can go on and on. Music like that will never, I, I don't think will ever happen again. And I'm not sure why. And I'm not sure why I think that other than it <laughs> hasn't happened since. But that's all subjective. That's subjective. But at the same time, numbers don't lie. And while Justin Bieber and, you know, other pop artists are getting numbers, I don't think, and I love that. I respect that. I don't hate on anybody except for one ex-wife who's not <laughs> Stephen's mom. <laughs> no, no, no. But seriously, I, I, I think that I don't, even though they're getting the numbers now, doesn't mean they'll have stay power. If you look at Led Zeppelin and you look at the numbers they had back then in the 70s and what happened in the early 80s, same thing with Yes. That didn't guarantee the legacy they now have in the 2020s. And that, that's my point. So I, I find that whole topic very interesting. Um, I don't ever want to write music again because of that. Like, <laughs> I, I could never live up to that. The last music I wrote, in fact, were five cover tunes, actually wrote nine, but five ended up on an EP. And they were big band versions of classic rock songs, one by the ones that got published, one by Asia, one by Deep Purple, one by Led Zeppelin, one by Emerson, Lake and Palmer, one by Rush. And then there was one by Yes and Ooh, I don't even remember the other three, but my point is there was no point in trying to write. I know this is catty and crass, <laughs> but there was no point in trying to write new music with my shrinking abilities today that would meet the standards of 50 years ago to live on 50 years. Now, having said that, there are some amazing bands out right now. Arch mm, Echo. Yeah. Haken, awesome metal bands, progressive metal bands. There's wonderful stuff, but we don't know if they're going to last. In 50 years, will people still be listening to that? I don't know. Will be, they be listening to Britney Spears? I don't know. Michael Jackson, Prince, probably. I hope so. They were geniuses. Led Zeppelin, yes. ELP, Genesis, probably. Most likely. King Crimson, yes. Absolutely, yes. All those. But how do you... I think anyone that writes and puts out new music these days are very brave souls because the wall of legacy, not a wall of fame, the wall of legacy with music for them to live up to if they're looking beyond a flash in the pan right now is unquantifiable, you know? So I think that going back to Roger Newell, he played on three albums with Rick Wakeman that no one can ever take away from the impact those albums and that music had on progressive rock. 
how many musicians do album after album after album after album as a rock band with an orchestra as an additional member? Rick Wakeman might be the only one. Others have done it for an album here and there. Yes, John Anderson, Vangelis, ELP, but Rick did it album after album after album, and Roger was part of that. And if you've never played in a rock band with an orchestra, it's a whole different thing. So I commend Roger on his talents for being able to go from playing with a five piece to, okay, we've got 62 other people with us behind here. Yeah, I'll lay it down. One, two, three. You know, it, it's really? that says a lot about his playing and his musical sensibilities as well. And uh, we wanted to honor him on this special episode, which is the extended family, like we said in the beginning, of Yes members here on Yes Shift. Yeah. Well, that, that's like a lot that you put down there. But yeah, but I know. Sorry. That was a big brain and heart dump. Yeah. That was a big dump. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Um, yeah. And like we said about, like earlier in the episode, you were saying how some of these Rick Wakeman albums feel as like gigantic as other really big prog rock albums at the time. Like I feel like. Um, and maybe more than. Yeah, I feel like the three most Rick Wakeman albums are probably Six Wives, Journey, and King Arthur. Yeah. Maybe No Earthly Connection could potentially be fourth popular. I, feel uh, like the, I would I, say I, that. Yeah, I feel like the other ones are really popular, partially because, you know, the titles are really catchy. You know, with Six Wives, you got something that's inspired by history. History. With, with Journey, you have something based on fictional literature. With that's history and canon, right? Like it's part of like the sci-fi canon sort of thing. And you know, King Arthur—it's the myths and legends that have like stood the test of time. So I think that's why those three are probably the most popular Rick Wakeman albums, at least from what I can tell from no, what I've I, seen online. I I agree, and I'd love for the listeners slash viewers to chime in because those albums you just mentioned, those four albums with all due respect to yes, which is what this show is about. <laughs> and Steve and I are as big a yes fans as you could get. We don't hate on anything. We don't segregate it gates of delirium versus open your eyes. It's not yes. Without Patrick Moraz or Tate towers doing the like, <laughs> we don't go there. But my point is if you take any of those four albums, they are way above the ladder, open your eyes, Tormato, going for the one, the first two or three albums. In some ways, those albums by Rick have canonized progressive rock as much as Close to the Edge, Relayer, and Tales from Topographic Oceans. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I guess we'll go through each of these and kind of say like, what what we think of Roger's contributions on each of them. So okay. first up is Journey to the Center of the Earth. Um, so I, I feel like the part where I feel that comes to mind where Roger like stands out the most is whenever he gets like the music gets a bit funkier, you know, like it, it's like it feels all proper for a time and then like 
12 minutes um, and and it's like it it sounds kind of comedic in a way which maybe was the intention because it's rick wakeman but it, it works and it like really stands out yeah yeah interesting i agree and here's my perspective as a fellow musician to be told uh we're doing this album and it's all one story it's an epic in length there's no challenge in length it's the same as doing six or eight or ten three to five minute songs but when you're told it's an epic and it's all one story that puts a whole other layer of responsibility for continuity congruity and and all of that weaving and staying true to who you are as a musician bass player that's why i'm doing this and and not where okay this song i'm going to play this way that song i'm going to play that way which you can still do in an epic but it adds a whole different responsibility on the musicians in my opinion yeah and you know that funkier part i remember when i was listening to it recently to refresh myself for this episode i thought to myself would something like this ever be on a yes album and then the first thing that came to mind for me was Bumpy Ride and F Fly From Here Epic, you know, the do, 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 do. And so, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it, it just goes to remind us that sometimes Prague does go through those, uh, those kind well, of, those little detours. And, and, and that's, that's really the essence of Prague. Prague is a mix of rock, jazz, symphonic, funk, orchestral it's it's that's what makes it prog it's all that if you listen to gentle giant john weathers no offense to mr erico of sly and the family stone but john weathers who's welsh in gentle giant is the funkiest white drummer and gentle giant gets as esoteric as you could get makes king crimson sound like a top 40 band but yet <laughs> they also swing way over there to funk. And so you, you hit it on the nose with recognizing that because whether it's folk acoustic to hardcore funk to esoteric, let's go from 11, nine to six, eight to four, four, and we're going to change keys with each time signature. They covered it all. And, yeah. and for Roger L Newell to do that as a bass player, <laughs> I would love to know what his number one musical influence yeah was because like phil collins who in the early years of genesis was an amazing prog drummer his foundational influences were always old school black rhythm and blues mm. you'd never know it sometimes so sometimes you listen to your favorite musicians and what you're hearing is you have no idea what their biggest influences were. Nico McBrain of Iron Maiden told me in his most recent interview on Drum Talk TV, plug, that the <laughs> Beatles were his biggest influence. You know, it's right. important. Yeah, it's important to learn the present by learning the history of your musical heroes. Yeah, it's kind of, I kind of compare that to you know, it's not just in music, it's also in literature and in filmmaking. Like some of those people will have influences that you might not have imagined were their influences. And it, it's surprising because they get all these different things and sort of put them 
in a blender so that like in some cases people might not even know that it was like oh it came from that mix of this and it's just really cool to learn that stuff absolutely anything else um i think i've i think i've said all i need to say about journey um uh, unless you had like anything else to say about it nope i'm good okay uh don't stop believe wait wrong journey <laughs> <laughs> okay uh so next up is the myths and legends of king arthur and the knights of the round table ah, i listened to it today i love it yeah so here's a for the first time in a while so it was refreshing to hear it with new ears yeah so i feel like this album also has like similar moments where roger gets a bit like funkier like i think the track where he stands out the most to me is sir galahad um yeah and maybe on merwin the magician as well like he's really good at complimenting rick but is also like in a way he kind of feels at times like in certain places roger feels more grounded while rick is going all over the place so it's kind of a nice juxtaposition you know like like sometimes it's so when listening to all these albums it was kind of difficult for me especially on these first two to focus more on the bass playing because rick is so front and center but if you listen to roger newell's work it's like yeah he can be really grounded or he can get like funky and like really go all out and so yeah i think my pick for myths and legends where he stands out the most to me is sir galahad oh what about you i agree um i love that album and i love his playing on that too um like i said before he did not he was very solid and yeah. to some degree traditional in his playing he did not go out of his way to get like odd weird distinct sounds for the most part he's playing um a fender precision bass and it sounds like a fender precision doesn't have any weird eq um of course nothing against chris's playing but if you listen to chris's rickenbacker is 4001 rickenbacker in close to the anything on the close to the edge album as an example and anything that getty lee played on like um farewell to kings and hemispheres there's some EQ going on there and stuff, but Rogers picked up his seemingly picked up his bass and played solid and his playing is everything. And I agree with the same piece. Yeah. Just solid. I mean, that's what I think of solid, but prog, but solid, not flashy, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, I also realized a bit of trivia uh, regarding that album. So his favorite color. <laughs> no. Oh, uh i i mean it's kind of in that vein like you'll you'll see oh. in a moment so uh the so this king arthur album was released on march 27th 1975 according to what i'm looking at and monty python and the holy grail came out april 3rd 1975 so just a week after this album came out isn't that weird and a day after my birthday yeah that was all synchronized all three things yeah it was all to celebrate your birthday <laughs> that's right and i appreciate it because king uh the those are all my favorite things i love that movie but that's interesting i wonder yeah. that had to be by happenstance but that's <laughs> a weird happenstance 
Yeah, because like Monty Python and Rick Wakeman sound like they would go together really well, don't they? Like, yes. However, it was Pink Floyd that funded the movie and a bit yeah. of Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Well, what's funny is that in my case, because you showed me that movie as a kid, whenever I hear the name King Arthur, the first face that comes to mind is Graham Chapman. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, it's, it's not Clive Owen or anyone else who may have played him in a more serious <laughs> film. It's Graham Chapman. And then second place is maybe um, the, ki- the teen version of King Arthur who appears in Shrek the Third. So there you go. <laughs> so for those who don't know, I got to share this story. When Stephen was about three or four, I started playing um, the Monty Python Search for the Holy Grail in a loop basically in the living room got to keep those little kids busy right got to keep especially <laughs> when you work out of the house and steve i've said this before has an audiographic memory he i hears don't some... but it's more selective maybe but okay I well as this far as to say audiographic or photographic but okay I, i'm gonna I say remember some things well yeah i'm gonna say audiographic because then what he did was he confiscated he didn't steal or borrow with permission he confiscated his older brother Alex's little, the plastic army men. And all day he would fashion <laughs> the army men in whatever scene he was acting out of Monty Python's Search for the Holy Grail. And he'd do all the voices and move them. It's like he had the whole movie memorized <laughs> and was acting him out. So it's no surprise to me that this album resonates with you because that's that's part of your canon i think the king <laughs> arthur story and being that you're a yes fan and a rick wakeman fan it makes sense that that's your favorite version yeah well i haven't thought about that in a while like using the plastic army man to reenact some of those movies do you remember doing that i mean you were four five yeah, yeah i vaguely remember doing that with the army man and with legos as well at some point and yeah <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Fans, tell us what you think. Give us your take on all these things. Yeah. So do we want to move on to no earthly connection? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I think Rick kind of alluded to this in his tribute uh, as well, but I think no earthly connection is where you can more easily hear Roger's contributions. Like it's, like it's very present throughout. Like it, it feels more like, like it sounded to me like everything was on equal footing or at least the keyboards and the bass were. And so, yeah, not, not just yeah. his playing, but the volume was up on the bass to be more prominent. Yeah. Yeah. And so like for me, um, like he's very prominent throughout this whole epic uh, music reincarnate, especially on like part four, the realization and, I think he also stood out on the prisoner on side B. So, yeah, I feel like out of these three, this is probably the one where he stands out the most consistently throughout the album in terms of like the volume and like, um, I guess, performance wise as well. Like, apparently, Rick was asked to not, uh, or I don't know if he was asked or if this was a direction he took to like not make not make it as comedic as previous stuff so it it does sound like a bit more um like i guess serious for lack of a better term but yeah like it it, no earthly connection it it works and i feel like it needs more listens uh 
to rival like the others. Like it definitely deserves more listens. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. And yes, fans, if you've not dipped in to the extended family of the yes members solo stuff, or if you have, but you haven't gotten to these pieces we're talking about by Rick, the four albums, go there. You will not be disappointed, really. You'll understand how prog rock has perpetuated through the decades. And it was in a big part because of these albums. It really was. Yeah. And out of all the Yes members, past and present, I, I'm pretty sure Rick probably has the most solo oh, album out there. And the most successful solo career. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it gets very eclectic. And some of the later ones get kind of silly. And depending on who you ask, they might like it or they might not. But hey, there's like a lot of variety, I guess, is the benefit of all that output. Uh, I have an album back there right there's right. the top of a cabinet i have a vinyl album that's called rick wakeman white rock chime in if you're familiar with it oh yeah i, I think that was 77 if i'm not mistaken and it was music soundtrack for the olympics right. footage the winter olympics footage of the year before and it's great there's some videos out there too, but it's a, it was my first solo album I got from by Rick, not from Rick, but by Rick. <laughs> yeah. He like came by to your house. It was yeah. Like, hey, dropped have, it off. Have this. Just it ding dong ditch. <laughs> he knocked on the door, took a dump on the mat. And yeah. The album, yeah, yeah. He was, he was a pizza delivery guy and instead of a pizza, you open up the box and, <laughs> and there's a the, record. <laughs> yeah. A licorice pizza. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, did you have anything else to say about No Earthly Connection before we sort of close this out? No, not other than um, Rick tells a nice story about it in a video DVD called... Uh, uh, it's the one in a very small venue in England where he just plays. He's got a grand piano and an electronic keyboard rig, and it's just him, and he tells stories in between. I can't remember the name of it. Sorry. But uh, in that, I have it somewhere. Should I go back? Uh, probably never find it. But it's it. he tells a great story about that album, and I know that, that he's uh, very fond of that album as a pivotal part in his career as well. Get it, get it, get it, or at least listen to it, folks on youtube or something it's really good and yeah. it's got a weird album cover <laughs> yeah there, there's a lot of stuff from him but yeah but yeah like people like roger newell and like all these other musicians are very much a part of all that like he collaborate like rick collaborated with lots of talented people and it's just yeah it's like a lot <laughs> yeah who wouldn't want to play with rick if you're asked you know <laughs> Right. He he has been an amazingly prominent musician. He, like me, also had a cooking show. He had he hosted a comedy show. He's done a lot of he's a yeah, very humble I, man. Yeah, I think he was on that game show, The Weakest Link, at one point. So he's yeah. done a lot of weird things. Yeah. And if you Google image search Rick Wakeman protest you'll see him with a bunch of people that come about up to here with him 
in the little village he lives in, in the rain, protesting that they were going to close a postal office. But Rick joined his fellow neighbors out there to protest. He's oh, that wow. kind of I've guy. I've never heard of that. Yeah, check it out. Check it out. He's a regular guy that happens to be super freaking talented with a great sense of humor. And I, I just love him. He's possibly my favorite Yes member. I have to say second to Alan White for obvious reasons. I've been friends <laughs> with Alan since 89, Drum Talk TV, blah, blah, blah. But Rick is one of my favorite musicians ever. And early on, you mentioned Keith Emerson. Keith is one of my biggest musical influences ever. And I got to spend some time with him when I interviewed Carl Palmer at his art debut in Beverly Hills. And that was just when he was gone that really shocked me too but we want to end on a high note so folks chime in tell us what you think steve anything else to cover uh no i think we pretty much covered it so okay yeah if you haven't listened to roger newell's uh stuff with rick or with or Marty. with these other uh bands like the wildcats and the rainbow um wait where are they Folly. Yeah, Rainbow Folly. Yeah, the double F's was like throwing me off. <laughs> uh, like, go ahead and listen to his contributions. And you might discover stuff that's very much up your alley. Like, that's what I really like is when, you know, we just because we're Yes fans, we can check out what the solo stuff is like. And then we, we can like sort of branch out and see what else we can find that might be like to our like like discover new music that yeah. we would not have otherwise have looked into if all these different people hadn't been involved with it that's right because whether you're a musician or a music fan it's all about ever expanding your musical horizons and like alan white says yes is not a band that is focused on the horizons it's a band that's looked over the horizons and with that, we're going to go. Thanks for following what we do on Yes Shift, Stephen Schinder, and myself, Dan Schinder. And you can email us with comments, questions, suggestions, donations at yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on our Facebook page, Yes Shift. We'd love to see comments. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, and you can find us on other platforms by going to anchor.fm slash yesshift, and you'll see everywhere else we're uh, located at, like, not geographically, but the, like, podcast platforms are on. In the outer uh, web. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, if, if the outer web invented by Bill Gates of Delirium. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, Good one. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's our tribute to Roger Newell. Go check out his stuff. And thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.